Hey, what's up? Joe Kim with the Deconstructor Fun Podcast. And today we will be talking about recruiting. That's right, goddammit, recruiting. You need to hire people. How are you going to hire people? Especially during a pandemic. And so we've got guys from Unity, guys and gals from Unity, from Jam City, from Stepping Stone. And we will be talking about things like, you know, what are the big challenges? What is a pain in the ass? What can you fix? What can be done better? Impact remote work, long-term implications, stuff like that. So you are not going to want to, I keep saying this every time, you're not going to want to miss out. But every time I've said this, I've meant it. And you know I'm right. You do not want to miss out on this conversation. So right after this commercial break, we will be back to talk recruiting. And by the way, my company, Leela Games, is hiring lead PM, art director, game designers, and engineers. So we are going to be based in beautiful Bangalore, India. So if you are willing to relocate to Bangalore, give me a shout, everybody. So let me know. But right after these... A uh, few commercial messages. We will be right back, so stay tuned. I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky. You your game is an instant hit. It's resonating with users. But for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsflyers.com. Hey everybody, today we are going to talk about recruiting and hiring in the games industry in our current times with the pandemic, and more specifically talk about a few specific things. First, what are the biggest challenges to recruiting and hiring that have occurred in the current time? Secondly, what are the biggest challenges or problems that games companies are facing with respect to recruiting right now? Third, best practices with respect to sourcing, interviewing, and onboarding. Fourth, the impact of remote work. And fifth, long-term implications even after the pandemic is over. And here with me to talk about all these issues, we have three special guests. First, Simone Hurd, talent acquisition from GM City. Welcome, Simone. Thank Second, you. Moses Sisan from Unity Software. Moses, congrats on the IPO. 
And finally, Neil Warlick from the video games focused recruiting company, Stepping Stone. Welcome, everybody. So I thought we could go ahead and jump right in with the first question, which is what are the biggest changes to recruiting and hiring that have occurred in the current time? And just anecdotally, I've been hearing from some of my friends that there are some companies that have had absolutely no problems with recruiting and everything, like all the Zoom stuff has been totally fine, and other companies that do seem to be struggling. And so wondering if each of you could start by talking about your own experiences and some of these big changes, maybe starting with you, Simone. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that Jam City has been incredibly fortunate through these very uncertain times that our hiring hasn't been too affected. We've ultimately extended over 120 offers since we've been sitting remote. I think, you know, what was that, like March 12th or something like that. So whether that's contract, intern, full-time opportunities, we've been kind of humming along as usual. So I would say that we're extremely fortunate in that sense. With that being said, Jam City is a global company, so we're very used to working with people that don't necessarily sit next to us in an office anyways. Like our analytics team is down in South America. Um, recruiting, I typically sit in Culver City, but I work with people in San Diego and San Francisco. So we're very fortunate that we've kind of been insulated from this and our hiring hasn't been too affected. Right. So Simone, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying because you guys kind of started off global that you're mm -hmm. used to doing a lot of Zoom calls and things like that. But in terms of the specific recruiting mm -hmm. uh, process or like not having people come for on-site interviews and things like that, can you speak to like any specific changes or just because you were global, has, has this essential process steps essentially done the same? So I would say that essentially the process has been the same apart from interviewing on site. I would say that that's a lot of people have a lot of value in meeting somebody face to face and I can completely appreciate that. Um, in a way that we've offset that, of course, we're doing Zoom. So there is video and you are seeing someone and interacting with them. We've maybe included a few more people on the team on the interview loop just to make sure people are really feeling comfortable and you have a little bit of extra time to kind of get to know people. Um, so I would say that's only the, honestly the real only change for us is having no in-person meetings and all via Zoom. Got it. And what, what about you, Neil? So my firm represents different studios and different gaming companies, right? Typically sort of on the smaller end, but I definitely uh, echo what Simone just said. I, and I think what I've seen for my clients, uh, it kind of varies a little bit, but the companies that have already had teams in different locations, uh, whether that's just in the US or international, they've actually had a much easier time in terms of switching to remote because a lot of times like, you know, your final uh, call is with an exec that's not in the location where you're at. And, you know, they were already much more used to doing these calls and making decisions based on Zoom calls and not in-person interactions, right? Then again, I also have some smaller teams that let's say like, you know, they have 15 people and are used to working very closely together, like really tight knit team, you know, typically like sometimes for the final interview to bring someone on board for like a full day, you know, like four to six hours of, of like interviews. And for those guys, it's been different, different because, you know, you don't have that interaction. You can't just introduce everyone uh, on the team that you want to uh, have them uh, interact with. So those have been a little bit smaller to adapt uh, or slower to adapt, I think. Uh, what sometimes what some companies do is they still try to hire locally and then maybe for the final interview 
do like a more informal, socially distanced coffee. Obviously, if the candidate is comfortable with that without, you know, forcing anyone to do anything that they don't want to do. But just to sort of have like at least one touch point, sort of like, hey, I'm real, like I'm this person that represents my company. And, you know, I just want to sit across from you and see, you know, how you are and then make the final decision. But I would say like 80% of our clients are is just, you know, flying by, by doing recruitment uh, remotely. Um, I think the onboarding piece, and maybe we'll talk about that in a, little, a little bit later, is something that these guys are more involved in, uh, I guess, than me, because sort of my job ends with the actual recruitment. Uh, but I think that that could get a little bit more challenging, you know, not having someone next to you. But maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. And Moses at Unity? Same situation as Jam City. We've been fortunate enough that uh, recruiting hasn't been too affected by by the pandemic. Uh, as a matter of fact, our time to fill reduced. So yeah, that's the interesting thing that I found about this is in Q, you know, our overall year to date, we say about 70 days, but since the pandemic hit, it's down to 60. So 10 days in time to fill is quite a big jump. And what I can say about the hiring managers who has always said, I'm not gonna hire until I meet that person. Right. You all, we've always had that hire, those hiring managers. Well, they, ha- they have no choice. <laughs> and those, I, I can tell you that, <laughs> yeah. they, I can tell you that those folks have had some amazing hires without meeting them. So it's really changing their mind on how they approach uh, recruiting and making in, the, the decisions and pulling the trigger based on Zoom interactions. Now, video absolutely worked. I think it would, be, it would have been a lot harder if it was all just voice right? You don't get kind of the, the facial expressions, the hand gestures, the, what I'm doing now. Um, so we've been able to embrace the change. Uh, the recruiting team has been great. The hiring managers have made great decisions. So we've hired over 300 people since the pandemic started alone. So it's been great. Moses, it kind of sounds like what you're saying is that, and it seems what all of you are saying is that the process generally hasn't changed much besides the elimination of on-site. Maybe there's a few more interviews via Zoom. And it's been, what, like since the pandemic started, about six-plus months. Now, have you guys anecdotally heard, I'm not sure if you have collected data on this, but in terms of how some of those initial hires that have come in with this new process without on-site his success rate in terms of performance and the quality of the candidates been relatively the same, or did we actually lose something by not having that on-site piece? I personally hired someone on my team who only interviewed uh, virtually. We, I think, got the uh, headcount approved maybe a month after we were all in lockdown. So personally, I've had a fantastic experience. He couldn't have been a better addition to our team and really fits in with every way. I don't know if we're just insanely lucky in that capacity, but I feel really fortunate that just kind of everything has worked out really well. He says on the, on the flip side, it's been a smooth and easy transition. So I have seen no issues with that. And I I haven't seen, you know, any kind of turnover on other teams either. I think it's been pretty positive. Having done a bit of HR in the past, I think it's a little too soon for us. You know, it's only been six months. So people have only been here for less than a year, right? So attrition, early attrition, it's it's too soon to really tell, but so far so good. And 
excuse the pragmatic approach of it's too soon to tell <laughs> if we made some bad hires, but it's it seems like things are going well so far. Okay. Well, maybe now we could kind of shift to some of the challenges then. It seems like the way that I'm hearing some of the, the feedback from you guys, that it seems like it's a relatively smooth process, but are there any specific challenges at all or is everything okay? In term and maybe some of the things that I've heard just anecdotally are really kind of a couple of areas, but maybe you can expand into others is first in terms of the onboarding process because everybody is remote. And then secondly, in terms of being able to convey culture, but maybe can hear your thoughts in terms of whether those two specific issues have been a problem or not. And then if there were other challenges that kind of popped up through this process. And again, maybe starting with you, Simone. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of our onboarding, I think the first few weeks were probably a little bit shaky just in, all right, we have 10 people starting on Monday and we need to figure out how we're going to do that because they're not going to be sitting at this desk, which the perfect new computer is sitting there waiting for them. So communication has really been key between recruiting, um, IT, operations, HR, and I think everyone's done a fantastic job in really ironing out a process that has worked pretty darn well. Again, you know, we ship everything to our new employees. So their laptops and whatever other equipment they may need come fully loaded. Their calendars are set for the week in terms of their first day and who, they're being, who they'll be meeting with. We also give every new employee a pretty healthy stipend to set up their work from home office situation, which is great. So haven't seen too many issues in terms of onboarding, which is nice. Okay. And what was your second part of your question? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. You, oh, yeah. Um, got it. So we, I think it's pretty easy to convey. We have somebody who sits on our HR team who does full-time culture and kind of the fun stuff at, uh, at GM city, which is great. So our happy hours that are monthly are now virtual. We have coffee hours. There's all these different Slack groups that we're really leaning into some that are like people at home who like to draw so they can share their drawings or people at um, home who are parents and they're coping with all of this together. Um, we do understand that, um, you know, some people's social interaction comes from work and work exclusively. So we're cognizant of that. We have um, a workout fall into fall or fall into fall health challenge. So that's going on internationally. Every office is participating, which is pretty cool. Um, and there's just a lot of chatter going on about that. And then for people locally, we're doing um, a drive-in movie this Thursday in Torrance, which is going to be fun. We're doing Jurassic yes. Park. So just kind of a way to get people together. And I think that I think that that's easy to convey since I'm pretty involved in Jam City and I like to do those things. It's easy for me to share my experience with other people and hopefully that that transcends. Neil? Yeah, um, I think... Again, I, I think that the, the recruitment process hasn't changed that much. And, and I think that companies that had a good process set up from the beginning, they're, you know, they're definitely doing well. Others might have to like tighten that a little bit because I think when it comes down to screening for culture and maybe even job fit, sort of to go back to your, your uh, the previous question, it'll be hard to tell right now, like how that's going to work out over a longer period of time. But I do think that there's actually maybe like, a plus to interviewing on Zoom is that in the, the hiring managers that Moses just mentioned that that always like need to see people and this this hire oh no I hire from my gut which which is great but we also know that our guts sometimes are not really the most trustworthy right and you need to look at some data and like 
have like good questions and, and uh, uh, ready and, and a good process so you can really um, uh, figure out can this person do the job and how, how will they perform when they start, right? And because we're not meeting in person and we're doing it over Zoom, sometimes you actually like sort of like leave some of the bias, uh, those gut, the gut bias, you can leave that to the side a little bit and you actually have to like really dig into content and what are these people saying as, as opposed to how are they saying it or do I think this is a nice girl or a nice guy to work with, right? Uh, so I think that that actually might might help in some times as well, where you're really focusing on can this person do the job and will they work out well? And then again, the onboarding, I do follow up with the people that that we place at our clients and on day one and, and week one and month one. I think you know week one is important, right? Especially that first day because it's always like new people and now you can't just walk over to them, like make sure that they're engaged, that they feel that they have, you know, what Simone said, like having a, a full calendar on day one and like just a, a whole program of like, this is what you're going to do. This is what we're about at Gem City and have people to give them the feeling that they're, they're being taken care of. I think that's, that's really important. And then, you know, just like we're trying to like get everyone else at home sort of excited and, 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 you know, like the, the drive-in thing, by the way, I think is, is fantastic, right? And then I think those kind of ideas are, are are really, really great. Just keep people engaged, right? And that's that's the same for people in week one as people who've been there for three or four years, right? I think that is, that is a big challenge in general. Right. I want to answer your question. So it's the, what are some of the challenges? The One of the challenges that I've been thinking as Simone and Neil kind of, answered the question is really being able to showcase the office, right? I think that's one of the cells that we've had in the past because it's a San Francisco location, the Bellevue, Austin, Montreal location of Unity. It's gorgeous. It looks great. We have some awards in there. We have the cafeteria, that office tour. And then we have a, um, a terrace on top of uh, the building in San Francisco. You know, it's a great location, completely gone, right? So we're not able to really hey, this is the feel and the aura of the office, you know, does it feel welcoming to you, right? You've stepped into some offices where it just has this very kind of, I don't know, loom and doom type of situation where you can feel the aura. Well, that's the opposite at Unity. It's very vibrant, it's energetic. So that's lost on the candidate. So I think we're losing on the selling of the actual feel, uh, very, um, it's not a, it's intrinsic, quality of seeing the office. So that's, I think, part of the negative piece, right? But there's a lot to counterpart the negative piece, which is a lot of the positive, which, which are one, again, time to fill, reduce. And one of the reasons why that is, because on-site interviews, we don't have to wait for five people to be available to meet one person in this on the same day. Their on-site interviews now can be staggered, right? In a week, you know, I only have two hours, well, perfect. You'll meet with Neil and Simone. And then tomorrow, the rest of your panel will be scheduled, the other three out of the five. That absolutely reduced it down. And what I've also been seeing is people don't have to travel. They don't have to take the time off. They don't have to request PTO days. They're a lot more open to interviewing, right? Yeah. Uh, not, not, not to say that they'll essentially accept the offer, they'll open to interview, but at the end of the day, sometimes the uncertainty of 
the situation kind of prevents them from maybe taking that leap forward and accepting a new job in the midst of this pandemic. And there's a lot of uncertainty happening here. Uh, in terms of culture, again, just seeing the culture alive in an office is not is not a thing anymore. So you have to kind of showcase it during a Zoom call like this, right? <laughs> so yeah, that's my those are my thoughts. Hey folks, we're gonna take a quick commercial break, but stay tuned, we'll be right back right after this message. Thanks. When the working world shifts on its axis, how do you respond? Gamers want to play more than ever, and your game needs qualified artists and animators. 80 Level RFP smooths the rough spots of recruiting and hiring qualified creative talent during difficult times and beyond. Our unique process matches curated professional artists with top companies. It's efficient and 100% online. At 80 Level, RFP means ready for production. Are you? Get started today with 80 Level RFP. That's 80.lv slash RFP. Welcome back from the commercial break, and let's get back to the discussion right now. And Neil, one of the things that you mentioned is that the companies that you've noticed that have had the least amount of problems are ones with good practices. And so I thought we could kind of shift and talk about that in terms of like some of the best practices that you feel are really effective. Like if you can walk through, whether it's from a sourcing, interviewing, onboarding perspective, I know Simone, you mentioned a little bit about what you guys do at Jam City in terms of onboarding, but would you have any recommendations for, for other companies out there as they set up some of their best practices? Like how can they improve, whether it's how they do their sourcing, interviewing, in any of that stuff, like any specific recommendations for best practices, starting with you, Simone? I would say in terms of best practices on, from my understanding on the candidate side is we're just extremely transparent in what our process is going to look like. So I don't think that there's a specific puzzle for every, every different role. We recruit for so many different positions, but I will say is just setting the candidate up for success on call number one, which would be with one of um, the recruiters on our team, walking them through exactly what, you know, your phone interview will look like. And then if there's an assignment, what that's going to entail, what an on an on-site air quotes, which is now a video interview and just kind of making sure they have an understanding of the general process. I think that alleviates any concerns along the way. It helps them kind of understand what our timeline is going to be looking like. Um, so that's probably a, just a good rule of thumb for us and helps us stay organized on our end as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that I recommend to clients, and again, these are typically smaller companies that have had traditionally one location, um, is that they actually open up the search and, and look at different geographies, which has been really, really great for a lot of candidates or clients that have been sort of fishing in the same pool. Like, okay, I'm a Bay Area company. Uh, I'm looking for product managers uh, within the Bay Area. Like, at some point, you're sort of sort of starting to recycle. Um, the same people, right? Especially if it's if it's in games and you're not looking at larger tech. But now some of those have opened like everything from like some are just like focused on the West Coast. Well, all of a sudden you have LA, Portland, Seattle. Uh, I have had a client that had tremendous success hiring people in Vancouver. A little bit more difficult in terms of like, okay, now we're hiring someone internationally, but it, they're in the same time zone. Vancouver has a really great uh, gaming scene, had that for a, a good number of years. And an added benefit is also that they're a little bit cheaper. 
right? For what it's worth. So like you can actually get higher quality people for, you know, similar prices, especially if you're based in LA or uh, San Francisco and you're used to paying these, you know, Bay Area and LA salaries, that might help if you can come to sort of an agreement where, you know, your cost goes down a little bit, but you still get a, a quality person. And for the candidates, the added benefit is like, hey, I can work remotely, kind of what I always wanted to do. Uh, and I have all these other companies now that normally would never consider me working for them. Um, so that's been, in terms of sourcing, has been been really, really uh, great. And I think that you can definitely use that to your advantage. And then the other best practice is, I think it's good and, and uh, I think Moses and Simone probably know this much better than I do because they actually set up the, the entire uh, process. Uh, but I think like having good process and really knowing what you're trying to measure before you start talking with candidates, not just going into like, oh, here's a job description, uh, here's 10 candidates, let's just talk to them, right? But really sort of like, are we comparing apples to apples, right? Here are the five key things that we're looking for Let's give everyone a score from one to 10 on these five uh, 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 things that were these five criteria. And then like what, what kind of score comes out, right? And really being able to compare people and actually look at, again, look at their skill set rather than like, is this a cool person to work with? And I think that on, on, on Zoom, uh, you can definitely do that. And, and the companies that have a good uh, process set up, I think they get to better hiring outcomes, right? Because as, as these guys know, there is filling seats, getting butts in seats, as they say, right? And and getting the right person in the, in the I guess the right butt in, Neil, the, in we, the seat. Could we touch upon that a little bit more? So one of the things that I've noticed in terms of, from my experience in recruiting is that in a lot of companies, the recruiting process is pretty haphazard. It's like, oh, we, we're bringing someone on site or we're gonna have these interviews. Okay, we're gonna get Bill, Jane, and Larry to do the interview, go. But that has usually been really haphazard. People ask different questions. Sometimes they don't. A lot of the the folks that you've assigned to the interview don't have any questions prepared, so they just basically chit chat and have like a personal conversation. And so, like one of the things that you know I've implemented at the companies I've been with is to first have an initial kickoff call where we build what I call a skills matrix. It's like for this position, what skills are most critical for the ultimate success of the candidate. And then we write what those skills are, we all agree, and then we then assign people to test different skills and have overlap, for example, to, to your point about trying to you know, measure what's gonna allow the candidate to be successful or not, or things like that. But are there any other practices along those lines that things that you guys do to ensure that you are evaluating the candidate in a better way, because I, I do think that based on my experience, and maybe I've just been at a lot of companies that have poor recruiting processes, but I've found that in most companies, it's pretty haphazard and there's a lot of processes that can be improved. I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on Neil or Moses. Yeah, I, I'll, let, I'll let these guys go after me because I think they have more, more to say about it. But I, I think that typically like recruitment isn't, doesn't always get the time that it deserves. And I think it's it's really sort of like setting up these processes and, and doing it right from the beginning will lead to better outcomes. Unfortunately, especially in tech, we're sort of always on the go. We're always doing stuff and we need these people and hiring managers are knocking on our door. And so like, I need these guys to, to come on my team. And then we sort of rush and like by rushing it, uh, you don't always get to the desired outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. So 
having like a, in, investing a little bit more time, just like you said early on, I think makes a, a big difference. So one, make that that skill matrix and 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 decide what you're going to measure. Two, involve everyone who's in the recruitment process and let them know what we're measuring and what their task in this process is, right? So like they they can prepare questions, but they also know what we're actually looking for because this is another thing. Not only do they have not not don't have questions prepared, they also actually don't know what the hiring manager is looking for. And they're like, in the end, in the end is again, yeah, I like this guy. But that's not an interview process, right? You want to say like, okay, like I thought this was particularly strong. Maybe this gives me a little bit more pause. And I think from a cultural perspective, you know, it could, it is, it's, it's fine or it's, it's not and some additional notes, right? And then you're sort of like, again, you can score people and you can measure, you can rank. And then I think that leads to better outcomes. And this is like recruitment one-on-one in general, but especially I think now, I think it's, it's, it's very important. We call it an intake slash pre-brief before the on-site interview actually happens okay. um, because you know it's kind of a calibration. What comes out of this is one, you're signing focus areas, skill matrix. Hey, interviewer A, you're going to be focusing on you know, can this candidate do the job? Is interviewer B, you're focusing on culture ad, right? We don't tend to ask for culture fit. We want a diverse group of people. So we want to make sure that we want to identify what kind of addition are they adding to the team. And then what comes out of that also is not every single person in the interview panel knows what the hiring manager is asking for, right? So it's interesting because I do an intro of, hey, this is what we're looking for based on my initial conversation with the hiring managers. And one of the interviewers would likely ha- raise your hand and go, that, wait, that's the role? I thought it's this one. So more often than not, they have some tweaks on the job description. And most hiring managers are open to changing their mind based on the team's feedback. You have these people interviewing your candidates. Well, they got to be on the same page as you. Uh, and I think that that's a great practice, Joseph, that you're doing with your team. We do it as well on our team. Uh, hiring managers are very receptive to it. Uh, interviewers are now asking for it. So it's, it's absolutely done here at Unity as well. Something that I would note um, also is kind of leaning on our recruiting software that we use. They set us up for success in terms of a pipeline and how we can move candidates forward. It helps us um, define who our interview loop is prior and identify those people. We try to also stay with those select group of people. So it is a fair playing field, kind of like Neil said, in terms of we're looking at candidate A and candidate B, we want to make sure the same people have spoken to them. They allow us to enter feedback really easily in these programs. And you can kind of select what kind of feedback is somebody entering? Are they a hiring manager or are they an advisor? If they're an advisor, you know, what do we specifically want them to touch on? And usually these are spoken about in the initial debriefs, but I will also touch on Neil's point to um, kind of somebody who's, and same with Moses, is asking about culture and a culture ad. Long gone are the days where you can say, like, I really think I could grab a beer with this person. Like, that's nice, but that's not what a culture fit is or a culture fit or a culture ad is, if that makes sense. So when we do have somebody who's assessing culture for what it's worth is is this person, do they fit in the Jam City's pillar? Do they love the player, love the game? Do they focus on the magic and the measure? Those are what are a culture ad for us. It's not necessarily like, do I want to get coffee with this person and take a break or something like that? 
Right. So, Simone, talking about culture, then could you talk about some best practices with respect to one, you know, how do you test for the culture? And then two, how do you ship the culture or how do you, you know, communicate the culture to, to new hires that, that come on board? What, what are you guys doing with respect to that? In my previous point, kind of saying that it's not so much you want to grab a beer at this person. And that also helps us hire a more diverse workforce, because if you're um, hiring someone based on who you want to hang out with, people you know, tend to do that based on who look, sound, talk exactly like them. It's not bringing in the diverse ideas, which is what's ultimately really important for us. And in terms of how do we assess for that, we have our pillars at Jam City. So like I said, focus on the magic and the measure. Is this person someone who's data oriented and wants to make fun games? Do they have a passion for games? Do they like to play games? And are they player centric? Um, so I think that's kind of how we, how we test, how we measure our culture is that what is was that your question sorry yeah well how do you test it and then how do you ship it to your new employees or for sure so we ask them questions like surrounding our pillars and how and based on their response how that would fit in with our culture here at jam city because we really center our culture around our pillars so you Um, really interview for it basically for sure yeah i think that that is important how we ship that in our our um our day-to-day I mean, I think that's a good question and I will have to think about that for a minute. I mean, I can say we definitely have an awesome culture. I love working here, but in terms of how our pillars are in a day-to-day work that we're doing, we see that in the success of our games and we see that in the success of our teams and the way that we're able to collaborate for sure. Um, Yeah. Yes, I would say like a couple of ideas that we're doing at, at my small company is one, like we've created a values presentation and then we put that on our homepage. And then in our job description, we say, before you apply, make sure you agree with our values. And then in terms of shipping, like one of the things that we've done is we've created like an email drip campaign. So it's kind of like one of these, uh, in some of these like e-commerce sites, they've, they have these email drip ca- campaigns when you sign up for something. And so like every day they'll get a new lesson about our culture over like a two week span. But I don't know if Neil or Moses, you guys have any thoughts in terms of how you guys test or ship culture? The culture question is is always tough, right? And I think guiding principles of what your culture and how you define it is step one. And Joe, Joe, what you were mentioning about values. So we have the four values here. Unity, go bold, customer first, uh, best ideas win, and one thing that in it together, ha, I remember all four. So I'm testing for that during the interview process, right? Okay. Saying, hey, hiring manager, why don't we ask a couple of questions that will derive uh, if this person thinks that the best ideas win, not just their ideas, right? Something about like, you know, describe a situation where others you were working with on a project disagrees with you, but theirs is the best idea. Tell me about that, right? That's how you test for the culture. Because if you just say culture, it's like, okay, what does that mean? So, I, so you know, define it, then test for that. So yeah. that's one piece. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I feel like that um, one thing that the industry could do a little bit better is to maybe dig a little bit deeper in terms of what does that mean, not just like the high level goals, but also in terms of like how that would mean from an operational, like working relationship as people in the company work together. Like, you know, I just feel that there might be a better way in terms of the industry to like communicate in terms of whether it's the type of communication policy or how you conduct meetings or things like that. I do think that one thing, just a broad industry thing is for 
companies to be able to better articulate and have that in front of candidates before they join. But, you know, just one of the thoughts I have. I mean, you can publish it at Netflix, right? They have a, a hundred. Oh, yeah, yeah, they do. Netflix That's awesome. slide yeah. <laughs> on, on yeah. their culture. Yeah. Uh, we have our values on our website yeah. as well. Great. Right? But I like, I really like your idea of saying, hey, before you apply, these are our four values. Please don't apply. If you don't resonate, it doesn't resonate with you. Right. <laughs> right? So that's good. Neil, any uh, thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, I think that, um, like uh, Moses said, I think you have to define first. And, and, and Joe, it's like, it's awesome that you have that on your website and you're saying, like, check this first. The second piece is then testing it. And is, is that something that you do when you interview people, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard to do because. I would say that there are things that people will say versus how people actually act. So that's the difficult part. But I guess you know, if you guys have any better thoughts on how you can actually test for culture in terms of what, how people actually are, that would be, that would be great. But I haven't found a better way. <laughs> the, the behavioral. I mean, the testing is it's, yeah. Ask for, for uh, yeah, behavioral questions, right? Like give me a situation where, and sometimes like the first question feels like a little bit fabricated and then people can sort of like, you know, but then it's up to the uh, interviewer to dig a little bit deeper. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Like now that you've given me this example of this meeting where things didn't go well and you swept in and saved the day, like tell me a little bit more about like why you did that or how did you do that or how did the other people respond and uh, how was that picked up? You can sort of like go a little bit deeper and then get questions that people have to think a little bit about that they couldn't possibly have rehearsed. Yes. So uh, I have clients that do like give each interviewer, for example, one of the pillars, right? If you have multiple, or sometimes I, I have a client that actually does like over an hour long, like uh, interview with two people on their side from completely different teams. So these people are not doing any skill assessment at all, right? We're already way past that. And now we're just going to have people from like, you know, for a product manager, you'll have like an engineer and uh, like a creative person ask questions about culture and really talk about it for like an hour. Right. And that really goes beyond like having the, again, the rehearsed questions. And then the a third piece beyond the, the defining the testing, but now we're getting a little more into HR territory, uh, which, uh, you know, I probably should do, but uh, you could also uh, have this build in, into actual an incentive structure, meaning that now your promotions and your evaluations and pot potentially bonuses are being tied in with culture as well. And now it, 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 for people that are like, well, uh, culture, you know, like I just do whatever I want. Like now you actually can hold people accountable and every quarter you measure it saying like, hey, well, like you did great. You delivered this game and the game is doing gangbusters. But, you know, like we also got some feedback on like how you like, uh, you know, we went together, I think was one of the, the things where we went as a team, like, well, you were kind of bulldozing through this last part, right? And I'm like, yeah, you, you got it done, but that's not really one of the values that we adhere over here. So keep that in mind or something like that, right? And yeah, then, you know, for us, the um, way we've tried to manage that in terms of the kind of ongoing development of culture is we actually have 10 employees level. So you, you actually have like an employee level at our company where you're either level one, but there's specific things you have to do to reach each new level. And then as you gain more levels, you're actually, you know, it, it shows that you're actually developing more and learning more about our culture. But I don't know if you guys have any A other. A little bit of gamification. Uh, I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Nice. And maybe I could also ask in terms of like, one of the things that I've also found helpful, and if you guys have any thoughts on this as well, is in terms of the evaluation, one of the things that I found in past experiences is just like candidates who are being interviewed that clearly don't make sense. And so like, just as like, I don't know if you have thoughts in terms of pre-screeners, but one of the things that we've done is have like two levels of written tests. So like an initial written test that doesn't take a lot of time, but can but can like screen out maybe 30, 40% of people where it's clear, clearly there isn't a good skill match. And then like a later, more in-depth written test. But in terms of that specific process, do you guys have any thoughts or do you guys do some, anything similar? Well, a question for you, for these written tests, are they something that someone applies and you immediately send it to them? Yeah, I actually like to, now this is, this is controversial in, in the sense that I've gotten pushback from HR people before at other mm -hmm. previous companies, but yes, mm -hmm. like before they, because I also believe that the time of, of our existing, you know, interviewers is very valuable. That's so sure. just want to try and eliminate people who are clearly not a good fit by having like, you know, a, a short written test to kind of eliminate some of those people. And then later in the process, we actually have a more detailed written test that goes against that skills matrix that I mentioned before, that test for those specific things. It's really rare that we send anyone any kind of assessment or exercise before that they, they've at least spoken to a recruiter to kind of understand what the process will look like. Um, I know on our consumer insights team, for some specific roles, it's very important that they play games that are similar to ours, and they're going to be playing games that is part of their job. So to understand if this person plays specific games, sometimes we've added that in the application. Like, what games are you playing? Why do you like them? What levels are you on? So that kind of um, is something that people can easily add. But we never have somebody, or it's rare that we have somebody do um, any kind of written test before speaking to someone, just because we like to lay out the process. It doesn't turn people off. People also can be very offended if they apply, take the test, and then it's like, oh, you know what, your technical skills actually aren't where we need them to be. We don't want to move forward. So we do like to have at least a conversation to lay out the process so people understand. Um, and then depending on the role, we will have an assessment along the way. One of our guiding principles in terms of kind of the diversity and inclusion here, the three, three words, right? Empathy, respect, and opportunity. Okay. And Giving a test, absolutely, I'm all for that. But further along in the process, so recruiter phone screen, hiring manager phone screen, then if the hiring manager says, yeah, you know what, this person is great, let me just kind of send this test to them to see if they can do a quick pre-evaluation before we schedule them for a five-hour on-site interview, right? Mm -hmm. But I think doing it kind of further along the interview process fulfills the three principles that we're using when we're recruiting, right? We're empathizing with the users or with the candidate because they, we don't want to waste their time, uh, but they've already understood the role. Uh, we're respecting their time, and but we're giving them the opportunity as well to speak to some people here at Unity yeah. uh, because maybe if it's not, they're not a good fit for that role, maybe it's for some, maybe they'd be a good fit for something else, which we've been able to actually uh, shop candidates around, hey, not a good fit for an SDR role, but maybe a great fit for this customer support role because they're just coming out of college or they only have a year of internship experience and they really want to just break into the, um, to the industry. Yeah. So, so it sounds so like you guys are saying that me setting the written test first is kind of not a good move. <laughs> well, what do you think, Neil? Uh, <laughs> oh, go ahead, Simone. I was just going to say it tells only one piece of 
kind of their story. And especially on maybe the technical side, if you're sending someone a coding test before you've had the chance to connect with them. I see. Um, I know for us, students who are just out of school actually tend to do a little bit better on those tests because that's their mentality. They're like dialed in on these coding tests and that's how they're working on a day-to-day basis in school. And maybe a seasoned engineer who has five or six years of experience doesn't do quite as well because it's a time test and it's not the way that their brain is used to thinking right now, but is actually quite a great engineer and you miss the opportunity to speak to them and understand their thought process because they've only taken a test. So I think just very much with I agree with Moses and that you want to be as, you know, conscious of everybody's time. So having someone take some sort of assessment or exercise before a five-hour interview, absolutely. But to have a hiring manager at least explain the role to them and have them be interested as well. Sometimes, you know, you need to sell your role a little bit to these people as well to make them want to invest more time. Got it. I'm I'm a little bit more with Joe on this one. (laughs) But that's I think that's 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 the difference between like I think larger company and smaller company, right? Obviously, like, you know, Gem City and, and, and Unity have wonderful people like you guys and your teams that actually have, I wouldn't say have the time because you have to be conscious of your time as well, but you have some resources in order to like facilitate a, a very smooth like candidate process, right? And you obviously have your talent brand to think about as well. Like Moses says, like maybe that first role might not be the best one, but you know, maybe there's another role or, or maybe two years down the line, we're still going to be around. We're still going to be hiring people. So we need to make sure that we have a pleasant experience. Like Simone said, like you want to give everyone time and not have them, you know, it's definitely a complaint from, from candidates from like, oh, I had to do this test and like I spent three hours on it and then I got a one-line email or a three-line email saying like, oh, we didn't pick you. That's just kind of like upsetting, right? Because you, you don't even know like why and like, so I get that. That being said, I do think that like a small test upfront and some of my clients do that, like, you know, here are three questions or four questions that we would want you to uh, address and and one of them is often like what kind of games you play because it does matter right like does this person understand the type of games that we're making like a hyper casual mobile game versus like you know a triple a AAA rpg is obviously you know completely different and it doesn't say, say everything but it helps sort of understand what kind of player you are and where your interests lie um i do also think that it and it's, it's a little bit of a give and take right like there's also candidates out there that are just interviewing for interviewing sake, maybe for interview practice or just to see like, oh, like I'll, I'll see where it takes me. And if you're a smaller team, you don't have time, unfortunately, and you need to sift those people out. So sometimes a couple of questions early on and you can definitely tell like, oh, the person A put in like 20 minutes of time and really fleshed out some good answers and person B gives like one liners and, and, you know, you can just sort of see that they're not really interested. And, you know, sometimes it's good to, to figure that out. Obviously as an external recruiter, my incentives are, are a little bit aligned with like, you know, going towards like quicker hires, uh, uh, you know, unlike what I just said about getting good, good hires. Um, no, but you know what I mean, right? Like um, I, I think it depends a little bit on, on what the resources are and how much time you have. So, and Joe, for example, for you, I can understand that you want to suss out that 30, 40% and then like, okay, and I, what do we have left? And then really sort of start investing time. So, you know, I think for both sides, you can, there's something to say. And maybe like a follow-up question in terms of like, if you guys have any specific practices or if there are specific tests or things of that nature, in terms of like the things that you have done from the 
evaluation process. What have you guys seen as like maybe one of the best indicators of future success at the company? Has it been the interview part or tests or any specific things that you guys have done? Or is it is it pretty much all of the above and you just kind of see how people do? For us, I think it's case by case basis and depending on the role. I know um, for product teams, we like to see people do teardowns. And I think that we leave our guidelines pretty um, pretty loose for those in general, just to kind of see how they would approach with their ideas, the game that they chose, what's standing out to them. So I think that's been a really helpful tool in kind of assessing someone's just kind of through the interview process on the product side. Okay. And Simone, in terms of the teardown, is that done on a one-on-one -on -one interview or is it like multiple people with the candidate and do they it, give a presentation or how, how do you, have you structured that? Again, it depends on the team um, for the game and, or whether that's central. Um, more often than not, it's something that they complete on their own time. Um, and then either we'll certainly review with the hiring manager on like kind of a one-on-one -on -one basis or they'll present it to a team, a small team. Got it. Uh, Neil? Yeah, in terms of, of indicators for future success, like Laszlo Bach, uh, a famous Google uh, HR executive, after 10 years of, of doing data analytics on, on hiring, basically concluded that there was almost no correlation between the interview process and the prediction of, of, of success at work. So for what for forever, <laughs> what that, that is worth. Uh, but I think just in, in, in general, and I'm repeating myself here, but a good process and sort of like really evaluating the skills that you, especially that you need in the first, I would say, three to six, maybe to 12 months. Can this person do what we need to hire this person for? Because we do have an immediate need. Uh, I think that that's, that's really key. And then, you know, it's always hard to figure out how people are actually going to perform at work. Circumstances change as well. I mean, who knew that we were going to have these conversations like this, like six months ago, right? And how do people respond to it? Uh, varies from person to person and their, their home setup and things like that as well. So yeah, good process would be my, my number one thing. Moses, any thoughts? Delivering happiness. The, uh, Zappos book by Tony G it's in, in there somewhere. And I've always wanted to do this. I just don't have the capacity, but they study, they had a, they had a, a study of interview questions and then very focused ideas of very focused questions and they would rank them. And then they, that, that ranking would attach to the employee. And then they would look back on the people that got promoted. Okay. Well, what was their ranking? What kind of questions did we ask them? So we tweak, oh, and this, this is only for the sales group, right? And they did find that there are certain questions and evaluation criterias that when asked, and if that person scored high, they tend to do well in the job. So there are questions, that study has been done in a smaller scale uh, and in specific, for a specific department, which is sales. At Unity, you know, unfortunately, we just don't have that capacity. <laughs> we hire so many and then attaching a metric in recruiting to a net metrics in HR, that's a ton of integration. But you know, luckily, just looking back from all the folks that we've hired so far, uh, I hire mostly for the sales organization. It's, we haven't had any telltale signs of right. ref references. Okay, you know what, references. 
if they have amazing references, we have a separate team. Recruiters actually don't do the references here at Unity. We have some amazing reference checker. One has like a PhD in psychology. I would never want to be called by her at all. <laughs> She's amazing. But it's been proven super successful when these people, when these folks can provide amazing references and they can talk you know, highly of them, the job, would they hire them? Yes or no. It's been very successful for us. So that's one of the things that we've done. Okay. Great. And Moses, it sounds like that's a potential opportunity in terms of making the recruiting process a little more data-driven. If you could like, if you could structure your recruitment process, you can tag everything, like how they came in, question, you know, how they scored on stuff. And then, I mean, you'd have to have, it have to be at a bigger company with enough data points. But yeah, it sounds like it might be something interesting for some company out there to try. It was, it was done by the head of data analytics, I think, in Zappos. And it was more of like a fun side project for them and then partnered with uh, the head of recruiting there. Um, It was an interesting read, so I can tell you that much. Okay. Uh, And just kind of moving to the next question in terms of the impact of remote work. Now, this has been talked about by a lot of companies. You know, I don't know if you guys read Wall Street Journal, but a lot of CEOs have come out and said it's been a problem. From your perspective, in terms of what you're hearing at the companies that you guys are working with, in terms of remote work, have you guys had a better experience or has it been like some of these other companies where there's been a lot of, there's been a loss of productivity and all sorts of other issues? What have you guys been seeing? Uh, Maybe starting with you, Simone? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of how we pivoted to work from home, in general, we have not seen any kind of loss in productivity. I think, oh, great. yeah, which is fantastic. Future, future thinking. I don't know if we're talking about the same Wall Street Journal article, but I did read one about how people are leaving Silicon Valley and living in new areas and how does HR adapt to the cost of living in Minnesota versus San Francisco? It's quite oh, There's that too, yeah. <laughs> there's that one. So, so that's something that I think in terms of future implications, how, uh, how customers, how, um, employers are going to have to adapt. So since we have pivoted and we've seen no loss in the important communication and we've been humming along as usual, that's great. I think we're going to have to redefine what our typical work from home policy is. Is that two days a week that you can work from home, three days a week? Does it matter? Can you work anywhere you want? Um, I think that's just a greater question that our HR team, and this is more HR and operations, and they're really kind of defining what that's going to be. You know, to Neil's point earlier in the conversation, like what's great about the change in how we're sourcing right now is we can hire people in Vancouver and we can hire people in Seattle and Austin. These are great places to pull from, but March of 2021, when we want to be back in an office, is that realistic? And is it okay for some teams and not okay for others? And kind of what that looks like. So I think it's just a bigger conversation of what a, what a work from home policy is going to be. Okay. Neil or Moses? Yeah, I think that it, for now, I, I think we're all managing, right? And we, we like there was anxiety at first, and now we have our, our, our setup and our home office, and, and there's a lot of benefits, right? Like who does not like not commuting? That's it's it's great, but you know there's also uh, tough parts, right? Having kids around, or you know, those four roommates that you found on Craigslist, you know, like you didn't uh, think about spending all the time w- w- with them. And you know, studies show that people do, uh, uh, yes, they are more efficient and more productive. Uh, there's also studies showing that people, on average, work 50 minutes longer every day um, um, because you know 
it's easy to log on and, and do some email at night. Uh, we're all on Slack. We already sort of had that trend where we're always online, which is, I, I think, not a, not a very healthy trend, but you know, it, it's it's there nonetheless. So, my point, and I'm jumping a little bit maybe to towards uh, the, the next piece as well. But I, I'm, you know, I think for now it's it's working, and we should use it to our advantage. But we should also think about the long-term implications of how this is going to affect work and. You know, as much as we're we're in it and we're in it for a little bit longer, or maybe even quite a while longer, at some point we do want to go back to an office, right? Um, I just read in New York Times that four out of the five fangs uh, are buying office space uh, in New York City, yeah. and all these other articles are New York City is dead, no one is going to come to the city anymore. Well, Facebook uh, is about to triple their their number of people in New York City. So at some point we're, we're going to go back to cities. At some point we're going to go back to uh, to offices. So how do we manage that? And for a Facebook, that's probably easier because they have so many offices in so many places, right? So you can hire people around these hubs. Whereas you know, and I know that Gem City and Unity have multiple offices as well, but you know that list is not endless, right? Like there is there, especially for for smaller companies. You know how do you, how do you do that? We have a San Francisco office. Maybe we had a couple of engineers in Austin, but th that's it, right? We can't have an office everywhere. So um, as Simone said, it's probably more of an operations and an HR kind of thing, um, but maybe good to sort of start thinking about it that we align recruitment uh, with that as well, right? That not like a year or a year and a half from now, we're like, oh, we have all these people that are in like these wild places, but now we don't have those uh, water cooler conversations. And we, you know, what are we going to do with a Christmas party? Are we flying everyone in? And all those kind of things. So I think that we should sort of start thinking about maybe, and then, uh, yeah, definitely from a point of recruitment uh, as well, right? Yeah. It's too forward thinking. I mean, I'm in the Valley. Six months from now, I have no idea what's going to happen, right? I mean, that's just so many things, so many factors. Right now, I think the company, and rightfully so, are focused on kind of the health and safety of the overall employee base, and we're following kind of the local guidelines that is in, that's set per office, right? We have these different levels of code red, code yellow, code, you know, go to the office. Our Shanghai office is, I believe, kind of open a few times a, uh, a week now. So it's, it's hard to really say <laughs> is, is my answer to that. Um, Montreal has gone to another second week of lockdown, right? They were open. Things were fine and dandy. And next thing you know, for two weeks, Montreal, or I think all of Canada, I know Montreal specifically, has gone into a pretty serious quarantine, a more serious quarantine than it was uh, when it first hit. So no clue, man. <laughs> I think like health and safety too, obviously with the pandemic, but you think of your employees' mental health as well. Kind of like Neil said, People are working exponentially longer hours, 50 minutes sounds nice. You know, no one's asking me to work X, X amount more hours a day, but when you wake up and your computer's right there and you go to sleep and your computer's right there, it's easy to be on it 24 seven. So I think that our, our leadership is really sensitive to that. We had summer Fridays this year, which was, I can personally attest a major hit. So come Memorial Day through Labor Day, we shut down at 1 p.m. company-wide so everyone could kind of kick off their weekend a little bit earlier, decompress. And again, we're trying to keep people engaged the way that we can, um, whether that's the happy hour, the coffee hour, our fall fitness routine to see that 
we're all coming together in this way. I think that's important to consider too when everyone's working from home that sometimes people's social interaction solely comes from work. So we wanna make sure these people are engaged and feel supported even when we are all sitting remote. Right. You know, there's, there's some people, sorry, one of those, there's people that you meet in the office that you necessarily, you don't necessarily have meetings with ever, but you talk to them all the time. That's completely gone, right? So you kind of have to make an effort. And I've tried to make an effort just ping, you know, Paul from DNI just to say hi to him. It's like, hey, we always talk because I see you on lunch and we have like a same eating schedule for some weird reason, right? And then you just kind of strike up conversation. Yeah. Those are gone. It's not, it doesn't happen anymore. So we try to kind of supplement that by just saying, just promoting the, hey, just say hi to random people that you used to talk to in the office. Okay. So last question, and maybe we can end with like your thoughts in terms of what remains even after everything goes back to normal in terms of some of the things that we've talked about. So long-term implications. And then do you have a final message for people in the audience and how can they get in touch with you? So maybe starting with you, Simone? Yeah. I think I kind of jumped the gun on this one a little bit earlier, but just said long-term, I think it's going to have company force companies to redefine what their work from home policy is going to look like. Can teams sit remote? Can partial teams sit remote? So I think that's an ongoing question for us and one that we're trying to navigate currently. So that is my answer for that in terms of connecting with me. I hope everyone does. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, Simone Hurd, and I would love to connect. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I echo that fully what, what Simone said. Um, I, I think we'll have to figure out a right balance between health and safety, uh, what makes people feel comfortable, but also a new style of working, right? There is a lot of great stuff from working remotely. So let's, by all means, let's keep that, that what's, what's great about it, uh, but then also give people the opportunity to sort of like be flexible. I think flexibility is, is really going to be key where, you know, what are, we were all a little bit rigid, right? Uh, I used to be extremely old school where I wanted to have everyone in their seats at 8.30 in the morning, which a lot of people did not appreciate on my, on my team. And I've slowly sort of moved away from it. And, and actually, as of two years ago, my team is fully distributed and then fully remote. So I've been doing this, this for a while, but you know, uh, try to figure out like sort of what is a good balance that works for for you, and that probably is different for, for each team. I can imagine that like the creative teams actually really enjoy sitting together and collaborating, right? Whereas an, an, an engineering team sort of, they, they do their stand-up meeting and then there's like, yeah, I'm off, I'm, I'm gonna do my thing, right? And it's actually really nice because I don't get disturbed, right? And I, I actually get to bang out code uh, and I'm much more productive. So flexibility is key for the individual, but also for team and for different companies. And, and, you know, we can organize ourselves, try to take the best things of working remote and being in an office, right? Hey, maybe you guys want to come into an office, give people that opportunity, right? And then, you know, maybe a couple of days a week. And then we, we make a rule that every Thursday we come in from, you know, from, from 12 to 4 or something like that, you know, whatever works. But being flexible and, and making sure that everyone's comfortable, uh, safe, but also productive, I think uh, that would be a good mix. Yeah, and if anyone, anyone wants to reach out, uh, my, my firm is called Stepping Stone, Stepping Stone Talent, and you can find me on, on LinkedIn for sure. Great. Moses? It's going to be very interesting when we go back to work, right? I think it was a lot easier for, uh, for employers and everybody to say, you know what, stay home and work there. Absolutely. 
heck yes. <laughs> but hey, the office is open. Let's go ahead and go back. That's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch how people react to that. Regardless of the policies, regardless of, you know, the safety pieces, just say, just that messaging coming from HR. How do you say that? Do you just give them an option to go? Do you say, hey, you kind of have to go two times a week now? So I'm still kind of bracing for impact on that. I think people got, it's been seven months. I mean, as hard as it is to believe, it's been six or seven months now. Yeah. Um, and we've kind of gotten accustomed to having my dog right next to me when I'm working, right? Um, so it'll be interesting to say the least. We're not set to go back until June of next year. So we have quite a long way to go. And in terms of getting in touch with me, I'm pretty easy to get in touch. I'm kind of everywhere. <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, photography sites, um, Unity. It's just my first name at unity3d.com. And I'm not going to say it. It's just you have to figure it out a little bit. Right. And I'll put links to all of your contact information in the show notes. But and Moses, has the IPO and the skyrocketing stock price been helpful in terms of recruiting for you guys at Unity? Well, <laughs> we can put a dollar amount to the RSUs that you're getting now, right? right? Before <laughs> it was, well, this is the fair market value, and we may think that it go, can go higher than that. But now it's the last time I looked, or maybe this is wishful thinking, but it was a hundred bucks a share. Yeah. yeah. So been good it's not snowflake <laughs> but it's still it's still really good all right well i think that will do it thank you very much simone neil moses definitely appreciate your time and that's it thanks thanks so much joe okay bye